Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And uh, this is the second banana, Greg Hutchins. Good morning, Fred. How are <laughs> good morning, you? Good morning, Greg. Good. <laughs> well, I, I take it you survived the, another weekend at the coast uh, doing a little bit of surfing. Did you make it out there? Uh, we made it out there. Uh, and you made it back. What a deal. <laughs> <laughs> and we made it back. Uh, I think we drove uh, probably over 150 miles in search of the perfect wave, but it's all good. That's cool. Well, the way you introduced yourself reminded me of uh, when I was in high school, there was a court case that made the papers um, that somebody was suing somebody else because they didn't like the way, it, it essentially was they didn't like the way they were being, their, they didn't like the way the other person was pronouncing their name. And so it led to clerical errors of, you know, whether it was they're dry cleaning at the laundry matter or, you know, whatever it was. I don't remember the specific of the business. And it was, you know, upstate Wisconsin. And there's a lot of Eastern European uh, uh, immigrants from over the centuries that have moved into the area. And they got names that have like my name have lots of letters <clears throat> and unique pronunciations for that particular Slavic language of some sort. And so this guy said, would introduce himself as Mr. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the debate came up with, well, how do you spell it? Well, it's W-O-Z-K-Y-Z-X-2, you know, on and on and on. And he says, well, that's not pronounced Smith. And he says, I can pronounce it any way I want. And that was the rub that was caused the problem. And so the judge said, he can pronounce his name whatever way he wants. It's not for the court to decide. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you the uh, same thing with my daughter. Her name is Margot, mm -hmm. and it's got a French pronunci a pronunciation and spelling, M-A-R-G-A-U-X, mm -hmm. much like Chateau Margot, the expensive burgundy. So mm -hmm. anyway, everybody pronounces her name Margox. Right. In the U.S. anyway, yeah. In the U.S., exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And she takes great offense at that, of course, right? Oh, of course. And but it's, um, <laughs> you know, the the idea, though, is that, you know, we're a, a, a species divided by language, it seems like, in so many different cases. Um, and uh, I sent you a link to a, an article I saw this morning that was, should we use the term risk management? It came across my desk this morning. And I said, ah, there's a topic. We got to dive into that. <laughs> and and I one of the lines in it, um, and I don't remember if she was quoting somebody else or something, somebody, uh, it was by Carol Williams. And she wrote an article kind of looking at both sides of this. And she obviously has her opinion on what to do about this. But it was, words matter. And I run into that in statistics all the time. You know, we have all this language, even the word reliability, in common American and British English um, means trustworthiness is the first definition in the dictionary. And then in variations of that is the other definitions. Nowhere does it say in the dictionary that it's the probability of successfully functioning in a specified environment over a specified duration. That's a 
a concoction in the field of reliability engineering. Uh, but Carol brought up the point of risk management and maybe the idea that that's a, a burden or a disservice to the industry of people that that work on mitigating or identifying or reducing risks or, you know, those kinds of things. And I, I don't know, I thought this would be a topic that you would have some insights on. <laughs> insights. Uh, you're always, you're always very, very nice. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. <laughs> yeah, I think words do matter. And I think that a certain amount of words in terms of work and jobs carry uh, implications, you know, they denote or connote things that uh, sometimes aren't there or sometimes aren't real. So let's look at the term risk management. Uh, <laughs> and according to this article, and it's a good article, it's written by, oh, what's her name? Yeah, Car Carol, Carol Williams. Williams. Yeah. Yeah. We need to do the correct attribution. She might uh, pronounce it a different way, but we'll you know, leave it as it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody actually was butchering my name the other day. And I'm thinking, huh, my name is simple. It's Greg Monosyllabic Hutchins, you know, a couple of syllables. But they were butchering. And I finally just simply said, hey, I'll respond to anything. So, yeah, you know, just, like, <laughs> hey, you, whatever. Right. But back to this. Yeah, words do matter. And the problem with risk management is maybe it's an oxymoron. Maybe you really, we can't manage risk. There are too many unknowns and unknowables. That's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. The second thing is got, it's laden with a bunch of implications. And unfortunately, <laughs> you know, uh, they're negative. Now, according to this article, there's a gentleman called Tim Leach. He's sort of an expert in risk management, coming in more from the what we would call assurance side. And he wants to call it certainty management. And I take a deep breath about that. Why? Because that makes it more confusing. Um, <laughs> here's the reality, I think, in companies. And this is going to be probably something that most companies, large companies especially, are dealing with. And there was an article in the Wall Street Journal. Um, last three, four or five years, the tone, the tone in the company has been sort of soft and tender and humanistic. And this is all great stuff. Balance of life. A lot of it driven by uh, COVID. A lot of it driven by a change in times. Mm -hmm. But the tone of many companies is changing. It's becoming a little bit more tougher. It's becoming accountability driven and it's becoming uh, uh, what I would call uh, output uh, outcomes driven as well. And I'm seeing that with my daughter's company. I'm seeing that with our clients. There's really more emphasis on the recognition that uncertainty is probably going to be the new normal for the next 10 years. And Tim Leach is saying, well, if uncertainty is or VUCA, is becoming the new normal, shouldn't risk management be called certainty management? It's more affirmative. It's got a nicer ring. It doesn't imply <laughs> <laughs> downside consequence risk. You know, there's a lot of stuff. So words do matter. I don't have a problem with certainty. It's it's also one is I think a better term would be fuzziness because <laughs> it's just we whether you call it, it uncertainty or certainty is the VUCA stuff means that 
the, the all this volatility just makes it fuzzy. We, we just really can't see the future. And it's not like we ever could. I don't think that's, I don't think that's the point. Um, I think the management part is the one that sticks with me more. It's, it's, and I think one of the things that struck me in, in the article by Carol was that, you know, if you're, are you just managing the list? Are you the administrator of the list and therefore you've done something, you know? And I had a, a conversation a couple of days ago where it was, you know, as soon as you assign, it was with one of my students is if as soon as you assign somebody, the reliability leader, all capital letters, that pretty much abdicates everybody else from having to worry about it at all. You've just removed that role from the electrical engineer, the software engineer, and everybody else in the organization. Oh, because Phil will take care of it. He's the reliability leader, you know? And something like risk management, and the way you've written about it, Greg, is that it's not one person that does this. They don't squirrel away in a small cubicle on the back of the building and create a risk management plan. It's embedded from the board all the way through the organization. And if it's not part of the culture, it's not effective. And that's where I have the trouble is, you know, it, it might be more the, the steward of uncertainty or the, with, there's, there's got to be a name from Dilbert that they've, <laughs> <laughs> the, the demon of, of uncertainty or something like that. Um, uh, who's the IT guy? You know, he's the, the uh, <laughs> Clyde the Destroyer or something like that. It's called the IT guy. But anyway, but I think is that a valid way to think about this? It's is there's two points. One is as soon as you name somebody with that role, then in way too many organizations that I've seen, that means everybody else doesn't have to do anything. It's not their job anymore. Um, it's like safety. You you put a safety department in there, and if they don't tell you specifically to do something, then you don't worry about it. You just go about your business, even though you know it's not safe. You know, you, well they'll they'll catch it. That's their job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's point one. Point two is I think they're missing the point. It's it's got to be buried in the culture, and that's not done by assigning somebody the role. Yes. So what's happened is a lot of risk management started in the insurance field. And now it's basically moved into what we would call a compliance mindset. Mm-hmm. And compliance by definition is yes, no, zero, one. Well, isn't the 31,000 specifically not something you can get certified to? Is, did I get that right? Yes, you're absolutely right. And here's that. This is a big problem. I mean, back to quality and reliability. Mm-hmm. Um, the standard ISO 31000 is a guideline. It's not a uh, uh, a standard to which you uh, uh, get certified to. It's a guideline to help companies manage risk, manage uncertainty. And what's happening, though, is that the marketplace is driving a lot of the large uh, uh, certification bodies to actually develop certificates of conformance again yeah not being certified under the under the regulation or the the standard or something like that but i I suspect part of that is the number of iso 9000 certifications and recertifications is going down and i suspect i don't know i wasn't in the room 
But when the 31,000 folks put it together, it says, let's avoid the 9,000 thing where we creates a whole industry that you get compliance, but you don't get um, the spirit of the idea uh, behind the regulation. What I saw 9,000 is people would meet the minimum standard of it and only show their cards when an auditor showed up and the rest of the time they did whatever the hell they wanted to do. <laughs> and I think they eventually they've recognized that the guideline is is an educational tool to nudge the industry versus a compliance, which is a race to the minimum denominator, the least common denominator, which is not useful for the industry in my mind. Yeah, uh, any, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, basically, when you do standards and compliance, that's a cudgel. This is a shell. You've got to comply. Mm -hmm. It's a zero one. You do or you don't. Right. A guideline, on the other hand, is voluntary. It's compliance driven. And again, it's the power of words, the power of labels. If you brand something compliance, there's going to be an ultimate uh, reaction to it. If you call it or label it as a guideline, there's much more positivity, enthusiasm and engagement and willingness to try it. If, and I think there's a great big if statement in there, if it's <laughs> useful. Yes. Right. If it's, if it actually helps you with your business you know, operation and your profitability and on and on and on, uh, you, you can create better products. You can respond to the changing volatility all around us in a more coherent way. Well, then it's great. But if they're, and you've seen it where people pull up the document and go, okay, well, I need to assign somebody this job. I don't know what they're going to do, but they make sure everybody else does what they're supposed to do. And on Tuesday, we'll send this piece of paper over to that desk. And, you know, it's like, really? <laughs> You're kind of missing the point here, guys. And, you know, we're back to this thing about we're entering a, a time of uncertainty. I think everybody agrees to that. The question now is what's the solution? If you're a traditional risk management person, you know, uh, <laughs> and we've given, we've talked about this before, you mm -hmm. really can't have risk without a control. You can't have a control without a risk. It's sort of like, you know, one, one, <laughs> but, you know, different opposite sides of the same coin. You mm -hmm. can't have good without bad. Right. And we're really entering a time of uncertainty, both from our personal lives, from a corporate, from a business, even from a career. And the question is, how do we address it? There's the metal game. There's the self-talk game from a company. There, a lot of companies are simply going to say, oh, higher uncertainty, higher risk, more controls. How are we going to impl implement that? Whether it's uh, go back to work or uh, uh, have people. <laughs> there was a big article in the New York Times this week, for example, on companies now with uh, employees working from home have very intrusive, and this is a huge article, three, four, 5,000 words. Oh, I they saw that. Yeah. And yeah. They have keyboard intrusive. monitoring. And if you haven't been on your keyboard in five minutes, then you get dinged or something like that. And it's like, you can't even take a bathroom break. Right. <laughs> and that's basically a reaction to working from home and the fact that companies need to address uncertainty. Yeah. It's, I mean, quality's got, you know, those set up a whole slew of stuff. KPIs came and went in a whole slew of things. Uh, there's, I still think it's just missing the point. You can 
do risk management in the way I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more akin to the way the organization identifies and thinks through the decisions they need to make. It's not somebody fills out a list. I mean, and there are tools like uh, scenario planning and, and risk hazard analysis and, you know, all these different variety of techniques and tools and uh, SWOT analysis and mm-hmm. just on and on and on that helps us be aware, right? And I, I agree that there's controls out there that we need to put in place. But if it's not embedded into how we make decisions to run the business, and it's just a set of controls to say, oh, look, there's a stop sign out on Highway 3, so we got to reroute our trucks. Uh, you know, A lot of it is just simply knee-jerk. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of companies, because of the culture change – are having, and you're right, it comes down to decision-making. Um, what's the tone of the organization? What's the tone at the top? And what's the tone and responsibility and accountability of people in the organization? Um, <laughs> well, well, imagine this, imagine this, Greg. You, you just got hired as the risk manager or somebody right out of college gets hired as a risk manager for a small company and they you know, figure out, oh, I need to figure out what, what's threatening what are the material things threatening our organization? And they create a list and they take it to the CEO and the board and they say, well, we need to, we can't deal with all these things, you know, um, just make the list shorter. <laughs> and it's like, well, does that mean go address those things and mitigate them and create a resilient organization? Or is that just lop off the ones that we really find distasteful and don't want to deal with? And, the context of that meeting will give that person the direction, right? And that's where I think we're missing. The, there's you can do all these activities, but unless it's it, it, unless it's part of, yeah, we're looking at reality here and we're getting a better view of it. Uh, but if you just shoot the messenger that's bringing you this better view of the uncertainties facing us. Um, then they're just going to stop bringing you problems, you know, or or things to consider or considerations to be aware of. I I think that's where I find a risk manager gets, doesn't matter what their role is. It matters how they're incorporated into the organization. It doesn't matter what that program is. It could be a beautiful ERM program established in the organization, everybody. But if nobody knows what in the world they're supposed to do and uses the back roads and their uh, personal network within the organization, then for their own gain, then it's like, well, what's the point? Part of it comes down to, I just, I just wrote down a couple of thoughts and I know we're reaching the end of this podcast. I agree with you. Culture is all important. Uh, The challenge is culture is changing. Why? Because we're going from what I would call a softer, kinder world (laughs) to a more uh, uh, uncertain world. Second thing is I think that companies need to define their culture much more explicitly instead of implicitly Mm -hmm. and tell people what are the rules of engagement. Uh, The second is we need a taxonomy. a taxonomy and structure for risk. We really don't have that in a lot of companies. A lot of different interpretations, a lot of different deployment, 
a lot of different architectures and designs. And the third thing, which is very, very difficult to address, is risk appetite. Um, uh, yeah, Carol mentioned that as another debate in the industry. <laughs> well, it's, it's a huge debate because, and this comes down to all these three areas, culture, taxonomy, and risk appetite. If you really don't have those defined, decision-making is much more difficult, especially under uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, I suspect these are all topics for future episodes <laughs> <laughs> before we dive into each of those and chomping at the video. I'll just make a note. We'll come back to these. Um, but the <laughs> okay. idea is, is that um, the words we use matter, whether it's in quality, reliability, safety, wherever. And, but I think more importantly is what's the nature of the behaviors that are behind those roles or terms or whatever. If, if it's, oh, I don't have to worry about it, we have a risk manager, then I think we're missing the point. Um, and, and, I, and I think Carol was, was in her article, which is worth a read. It's, it's, it's not too terribly long, but it's, it's, it, I think it brings a couple of insightful ideas to the surface here. So um, I'll let that stand. But the idea is, is that we got to think this stuff through. And are, are we just doing the checkbox mentality or are we actually making a difference with the, the terms we're using is the lack of a better term. If, if it's not really working, we got to change our language and our behavior. And I think that's what I took away from this, from our discussion here. Totally in, in agreement. I agree with you. All right. So if you're, you're listening to this and wondering what this is all about, or if you've got questions about risk and risk management and what those terms should or should not mean, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash S-O-R, and you can leave us a message or a voice message even. There's also, uh, Greg and I are, and the rest of the hosts of the, of the of the show are available through LinkedIn or our about pages on Ascendo. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch with us. And with the trepidation of the onslaught of uncertain questions that we'll be getting, <laughs> I welcome them. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Fred. Listen, it's been a good talk. Went by a little bit too quickly. <laughs> As they usually do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Great. Thanks, Greg. We'll talk to you soon. All righty, Fred. Good talking with you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.